You're listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 19th of August 2021. Later, the unemployment rate falls to a 12-year low, but what is the true state of the labour market? But first, to how businesses are dealing with vaccines, their staff and their customers. And online jobs marketplace Airtasker is seeking a way to let everyone know if their users are fully vaccinated. It comes as a company which listed earlier this year on the ASX saw revenues rise 38% year on year and that's ahead of its prospectus. For more, I spoke with its CEO, Tim Fong. Tim, how would you describe your performance over the past year? And can you maybe give me an update on how many people are actually using the service now? So we're really excited about our performance over uh, FY21. It's our first year as a publicly listed uh, company, and we, you know, exceeded our prospectus forecasts across uh, all of the key uh, metrics. Um, so it's been a it's been a great year um, as our first uh, publicly listed uh, company. In terms of the size of the Airtasker community, there's now more than 4.7 million uh, people uh, in the Airtasker community. Uh, this year, we passed by 1 million unique uh, paying customers on the platform, and we've generated more than $1.1 billion in job opportunities since we started. Lockdowns, how do they impact your business? So uh, what we've seen over the, the lockdowns that affected FY20 and uh, FY21 and, and will affect us into FY22, I'm sure, as well, uh, we've seen a temporary uh, decrease in uh, marketplace activity followed by the community really finding ways to adapt to life during lockdowns. Um, So, for example, doing a lot of jobs which were previously done in person, now being done uh, either remotely or virtually, Um, and then followed by, as restrictions ease, a sharp recovery. Um, And what we've actually seen is with that pent-up demand that happens during this period, our growth is actually accelerated um, in the long term. But there's no doubt there are temporary uh, impacts Uh, during lockdowns and restrictions. And, you know, safety is our top priority. So uh, making sure the community respects those rules uh, is really important to us. I'm glad you mentioned safety because you connect tradies or what you call taskers, which can enter people's homes and complete jobs. How are you um, managing that COVID safe, safe messaging and what is your vaccination policy? So the first thing around um, COVID safety, we've uh, created a COVID-19 safety centre hub, which aggregates all of the relevant information from regulators, government and industry bodies to have it all in one place. Um, And for every task that goes through uh, Airtasker, both the customer and the tasker need to opt in uh, to those, um, to acknowledging that they are following uh, the rules uh, that have have been set out. Um, In terms of our vaccination uh, this is something that we're really supportive of at Airtasker. We're part of the Great Vaccine uh, Drive as an organisation. So all of our employees at Airtasker have paid time off to, uh, to get vaccinated and have paid time off to recover uh, from vaccinations if that's something uh, that's relevant uh, to them. We're also exploring together uh, with government the opportunity to be able to create a COVID uh, vaccination badging on the Airtasker platform uh, because we believe that in the um, you know during lockdowns and post lockdowns, it's going to be extremely relevant for people to have that kind of information to be able to build trust in the community. And so, just like you know police checks that we already offer, working with children's checks on the platform that we already offer, our COVID vaccination badges and COVID safe uh, badges are going to be really important. 
to what extent are you working with the authorities to make sure that taskers are working within the public health orders? So our policy at Airtasker is to always lean in proactively and have really positive relationships with government, with regulators and industry bodies. Um, ultimately, uh, what we're trying to do is always the same as what these uh, groups are trying to do, which is we want to create jobs, we want to make sure that our people are paid well for those jobs, and we want to make sure that people are safe whilst they're doing those jobs. So uh, we really align and partner uh, with these kinds of government and regulators to make sure that those things are happening. And finally, what's the company's goals for the next year? Oh, wow. So we're um, getting uh, really, really uh, strapped up to, uh, for growth. So uh, this year we generated operating positive operating cash flow of $5.5 million. We've got $46 million on our balance sheet, and we're really getting uh, ready to invest into um, building out new product but also international expansion. Uh, so uh, we are growing faster in the UK and uh, we're getting ready to launch Airtasker into uh, the US with uh, starting with cities, Kansas City, uh, Dallas and Miami. So uh, really excited for FY22. Tim Fung there, the Airtasker CEO and Airtasker shares closed up 1% today. Now to the market operator, the Australian Securities Exchange, which saw weaker statutory profit of $481 million. It's down 3.6%. As a result, dividends are down 6.4%, but it's maintaining its payout ratio. It did see the highest listings number in a decade over the past year. The company is spending money on technology and had some interesting things to say about first-time investors. For more, I spoke with its CEO, Dominic Stevens. There's going to be a big change when Square eventually comes into Australia mm. following that, that takeover of Afterpay. What does that mean for the market and what does it say, I guess, about the ASX role in the technology space, not just in Australia but in the region or even globally? Yes, yeah. I think it's a really interesting thing and, I, you know, and also we've had sort of like BHP coming home, which is another sort of like interesting piece in that, in that puzzle. But, you know, to, to the Afterpay and, uh, and Square point, I think the interesting thing, if you look at, out over the last five years, you know, uh, ASX um, used to have, you know, 10 years ago, quite a small technology uh, sector as part of its index. That has grown quite significantly. And I think that's, that's really good for ASX, but it's, it's more importantly, in some senses, it's really good for the country in Australia that actually we have a more vibrant equity capital markets such that, you know, if we didn't have that, you know, would Square consider, you know, sort of like listing on our market, even, even being a, a sort of secondary, would BHP come home? I think it's a very positive sign about the, the size and strength of our market um, across the world. The pandemic has given rise to a new breed of investor, I guess, first-timers, and they seem to be getting younger. Do you see this trend continuing? And is it a good or a bad thing? Because you only have to look at the rise of uh, meme stocks like GameStop in the US. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, I, th I think it is good. I, you know, I encourage people to actually, you know, have a better understanding of their investments and it is a good thing you know my children are, are sort of like interested in that I, th I think that's a that's a positive thing I you know I, I do you know as a uh, I do get concerned around the, the the meme stock stock thing because I think you know at the end of the day the value of the stock is not what we think it is in the in the short term it might be but in the long term it's the value of the cash flows that come out of that stock so you know I think um, there's some really interesting stuff going on in the US around um, you know, uh, how, how the market is, is being sort of uh, moved around by, you know, like, um, uh, you know, day traders or whatever. I, I, I wonder about it in the long term, um, but, you know, and we don't see it so much here. 
um, as we have a, a sort of a little bit of a different market structure here. We don't have things like payment for order flow and, and various other things. But, you know, I, th I think it's worth keeping an eye on. I mean, to give you an idea, you know, when, when the GameStop thing was happening um, big time, we had a, 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 a stock in Australia that had the same ticker as GameStop and suddenly, you know, it went for a run one morning. I think it was a nickel stock and, you know, the guy had to get out. We, we sort of suspended it and uh, basically uh, they put out an announcement and it was all fine. But it just shows that there's sort of, um, it's like a, a herd mentality and I'm not sure whether that in the long term is, is actually about investing. Okay, just three more questions. Uh, during the year, there were a number of technical issues at the ASX. What's been done to address this? What kind of assurance can you give that it won't happen again, especially at a time when you're going through uh, a major technology upgrade? Look, and, and I think that, that the, the key point there is we are we're going through a significant amount of, of technology upgrade. In fact, you know, our system systems, uh, our equity stack of technology will be as, as sort of uh, young as it's ever been, you know, since the, you know, going back to when we first actually put in technology in the 90s. So, you know, when we get through um, uh, the chest replacement, um, you know, the average age of that technology might be only a few years because we've actually gone through and changed everything. Change is difficult. Um, and so, you know, two things is, you know, we are, we are obviously, you know, sorry for the, um, the outage last year and we regret it. But, you know, and I, I can't take you through all of our, our slides, but over the last five years, the amount of you know, incidents that we have uh, in our technology has fallen something like 80 to 90%. Um, and actually the number of outages have fallen um, over the last five years, a sort of similar amount. So um, the important thing is in the big picture, ASX is becoming a much more resilient organisation. We very much regret an outage. And to your point of can outages happen again, Yes, they can happen again. It's all about trying to get them as as, uh, as infrequently as possible. And the way to do that is get your incidents down to as low as they possibly can. So bringing that all down, I think, is 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 um, is positive. Final thing I'd say is is the going to the the chest replacement. You know, we've got um, you know a, a year set aside just of specific testing of that of that system. So there's. There's going to be an enormous amount of work gone into um, testing that program. And the good things is, is that um, from the, the learnings out of um, what happened last year in November, you know, everything that we, we've learned out of that, we, as we would always do, you know, take that into all our other projects and make sure that, um, that those things don't happen again. That is the CEO of the ASX there, Dominic Stevens, on a day where its shares actually rose 2.3%. Now to the broader market where the S&P ASX 200 fell once again, down by 0.5%, 7,464. For more, I spoke earlier with Kyle Rodder from IG Markets. Kyle, it seems the US Federal Reserve is on track to taper economic stimulus. How has that moved the market and what exactly does that mean? Well, basically, just to put it into context, since the start of the pandemic, the Federal Reserve has been buying $120 billion worth of assets, $80 billion worth of US Treasuries, $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities a month. And the whole idea of that is just to pump money into the, the financial system and, and ideally the economy too, to you know sustain this particular recovery. Now, over the last few months, obviously, we've been talking about inflation, all those sorts of things, and that the fact that the recovery is underway, reopenings occurring, et cetera, et cetera. 
there is this whole notion now that the Fed is starting to think about pulling back on some of that asset purchases and pulling some cash out of the system or the, the amount of cash that it's pumping into the system every single month. So what happened last night effectively is that we had the FOMC minutes from, from the, the last meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it's looking very likely now that they're going to start that process at some stage before the end of the year. So the reason why that's relevant to markets is that you know we obviously hear a lot about asset prices being inflated, all this money going into equities. That's where it's coming from. And if it starts... If the taps start to get tightened a little bit, there's just that concern at the margins that maybe there'll be less impetus for the stock market to rise um, the same way that it has in, in recent history. So it was a bit of a shock last night, that that document um, to, for the markets. And it's reason it's basically the reason why we saw US equities suffer last night and the ASX 200 start the day off the back foot. Lots of profit results out today. I just spoke with the ASX's Dom Stevens. What did you make of the ASX's results? I thought they were pretty solid. I mean, I think everyone was sort of expecting what was conveyed on the, the revenue side of things that, you know, we've had an unprecedented boom in retail trading. New listings are, are up basically because we're in an almost unprecedented bull market. Um, and that's what happens when you're in this kind of, you know, very kind of bullish, bullish um, marketplace. The real kind of concern, I think, for market participants was what the uh, outlook as far as some of these big technology investments that the company was making um, and how that would have the company going forward in the next 12, month, 12 months or so. Lo and behold, what the, uh, what, what the ASX d- disclosed more or less was that you know, costs remain under control uh, and future expenses are sort of projected to remain reasonably in line with expectations and that sort of rollout, that sort of investment in technology will, will continue to go smoothly. So, you know, there's, there's some lingering concerns that in the future, because of this unprecedented bull market probably coming to an end at some point in the not too distant future, um, that, you know, maybe that revenue side won't be as solid. And with all the other numbers out today, which were the ones that caught your attention? Well, for me, and I suppose it's the way that I tend to look at things, it was very much thematic. Um, and we had some really interesting results out of you know a few big miners and probably most pertin- uh, pertinently, Origin Energy. And there was all sorts of things going on at the micro level with those particular companies. But one thing that we're starting to get out from a lot of these names, and it's being reflected in commodity markets at the moment, that this big expansion that we've seen um, in the global economy out over the last 12 months or so is expected to slow down. Um, and for example, what Origin Energy told us is that they expect energy demand to be reasonably soft into the future. And there's this overall um, concern amongst, say, mining companies as well, that demand for, for commodities will start to wane. Um, a lot of that's due, due to the fact that the Chinese economy is slowing down. So we've had a jam-packed day full of earnings, company by company, there was a lot to pick apart. But for me, the, the themes being pulled apart as it relates to stock market strengths going forward is very much along the, the lines that, you know, that big global growth story um, is probably not as cogent as it, as it used to be. Um, and that's manifesting in maybe some weaker profits for, for these sort of commodity players that have been very big parts of this um, strong, strong market that we've seen in the last 12 months. And just finally, uh, apart from that, any other trends that you're seeing in profit reporting season so far? I mean, things like dividends, for example, and what does that all mean for, for investors? Yeah, well, I mean, overall, you probably give the reporting season uh, a pass mark for now. And, you know, we're coming off a pretty low base last year. But um, earnings have been revised uh, upwards for the most part. The, the results um, in terms of profits for, for, the, for the year have been revised up um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, and like you said, there, there seems to be this theme amongst corporates of wanting to give, um, you know, capital back to their investors in some way or another. So we've seen, you know, share buyback 
plans, um, you know, being launched by another a, a number of major companies. But most pertinently, um, you know, uh, dividends being increased again, and um, even special dividends being paid out. So that's really good because obviously the ASX 200 is a, a market very much driven by that sort of dividend appeal. Investors have been dividend starved, and even if you look at the way analysts are projecting things into the next 12 months, dividend yields are expected to pick up to even despite lofty prices. So I think that's been the key takeaway. There's lots of headwinds coming up in the future, and you know you only have to look at the lockdowns, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to to, tie, um, to understand the, the potential risks for, for the Australian economy in the market. Um, but overall, investors are, are receiving dividends again. Um, corporates are returning money to shareholders, um, and that's that's really um, you know been a, an overwhelmingly positive result, I think. Kyle Rodder there from IG Markets. And now to the jobless rate, which fell from 4.9% to 4.6% in July. That is a 12-year low. But given the lockdowns, does it really reflect the actual state of the market? For more, I spoke earlier with the Chief Economist of the Commonwealth Bank, Stephen Helmarik. Stephen, do these numbers truly reflect the state of the employment market right now? Well, we don't think they do. They're, they're data for July and they were taken just before the extensive uh, lockdowns would have had an impact on the data. So, uh, you know, the employment number up just over 2,000 on the month, the unemployment rate at 4.6% is the lowest since December 2008. Uh, but we do expect a, a fairly substantial increase in the unemployment rate, unfortunately, uh, as we get the August, September, October data. So given the survey was taken in the first two weeks of July, so that was before the pause in construction in in, uh, Greater Sydney, is there any data in the actual stats out today that points to the worsening situation? Well, there's there's two bits of data that came out today that I think do do that. One is the participation rate fell from 66%, sorry, 66.2% to 66%. So if people leave their job and they don't look for another job, they fall out of the labour force. So already can see a decline in the participation rate. And also the total hours worked uh, was down 0.2% in the month, but down 7% in New South Wales. Uh, So we can see already the the number of hours worked uh, declining pretty substantially in New South Wales. Do you have any idea of what the effective unemployment rate is? Well, we talk about the underemployment rate, and uh, that actually increased on the month and that really is reflecting that reduction in hours work so you can be counted as employed but you're working less hours than you want to work and uh, that that uh, underemployment rate rose in July so that's probably a better indicator of what's happening in the labor market so hours work declined uh, people want to wanted to work more hours so even though we saw that fall in the unemployment rate um, other indicators showing a, a weakening in the labor market Okay, so combine all of that with low wages growth, which we saw yesterday, where do you see the employment market going? What, what, what are your forecasts for the unemployment rate now? And what does that ultimately mean for the RBA? So we do think the unemployment rate will rise to 5.6% by October. So up from 4.6% in July to 5.6% in October. So quite an increase. Uh, that partly will be um, due to the lockdown and people as we talked about before, you know, losing their job, not looking for uh, other employment. And so, uh, and the wages number yesterday was certainly lower than we had thought it would be. And remembering the, uh, the labour market was pretty hot in the June quarter. Uh, so um, we're expecting the Reserve Bank to raise interest rates uh, around about the middle of 2023. So that's still you know, more than 18 months away. 
And so we're going to have to see a pretty solid recovery in the economy through 2022 uh, to ensure that the RBA is comfortable in raising interest rates around middle of next year, uh, middle of 2023. And and these numbers, what does it say about the way the economy was um, performing in in the lead up to the lockdowns? Was it as strong as we think? Because we saw those wages data that was pretty pretty soft. Well, if we look at the activity numbers, the spending numbers uh, and the labour market, the economy was actually very strong uh, leading into June. Uh, as you say, granted, the we didn't see that translate into an increase in wages growth, but uh, activity numbers were looking really good and we, we were expecting the um, GDP to grow by 5% this year, calendar 2021. Our forecast now is 3.6% with a big reduction expected in the September quarter. So, you know, leading into these lockdowns, the economy was in pretty good shape, but um, no doubt we're going to have a pretty substantial pothole in economic activity uh, for the next uh, three, maybe six months. Stephen Helmarek there, the Chief Economist of the Commonwealth Bank. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. Content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Listener.